Well, good morning. I'm glad that you've taken time. Scott's away, went home for a few days, and so I have a chance to, to speak this morning, and I've been looking forward to that. Um, anybody party this week? <laughs> Two people had a party. Three, four, they're coming now. More, more. Come on, you can confess. It's okay if you party. Parties aren't bad, you know. How many of you are going to party this next week? Come on in. Yeah, New Year's Eve. How many had a birthday party in the last two weeks? Yeah, I met several this morning that were having birthday parties. are big deals, aren't they? We like to party, don't we? Yeah. Well, I like to party, and I, uh, I don't always do it because sometimes I think they're kind of silly. You ever been to a silly party? Like a dirty Santa party? <laughs> oh, gracious, you know. And then there's white elephant parties and all those kind of parties. They're kind of crazy. But did you know that in the, the scriptures, in God's word, he talks quite a bit about parties. So I thought, hey, it's that time of the year. Maybe we should just take a few minutes and look at a prescription for a party. So I'm going to climb up here so I can see the whites of your eyes a little more. And... Um, <clears throat> So if your eyes go shut, then see, I know that i got to spice it up a little bit. But anyway, I'm going to be up here this morning, and um, I want to talk to you about a man in, in the New Testament, and his story is found in the Gospels, but we're going to look at it specifically from Luke's Gospel this morning, a guy by the name of Matthew. Now, some of you are going to know exactly what Matthew was all about because you read the book. But in case you didn't, you need to realize that Matthew was a kind of a savory character, at a particular time in its life. In fact, in first century Palestine, if you were looking for a job, it was an easy and lucrative job that Matthew had, and so did many others. It was called tax collecting. Everybody loved tax collectors. We still do, don't we? <laughs> of course. And if you had a good franchise, if your franchise was one of the more lucrative ones, it uh, kind of gave you the key to the bank because Rome would send out the, the information of how much taxes you need to pay, and those tax collectors would tack on their commission. And sometimes they did 10%, sometimes they did 20%, sometimes they did 50%, and occasionally they doubled your tax bill. So they were doing pretty well, and that's why everybody hated them so much. They also had the Roman soldiers, the army, as their enforcers and their protection. So it was a pretty good, uh, pretty good job to have in those days. And the Jews all hated them because they were so greedy and oftentimes cruel in the way they collected taxes and sleazy characters. And Well, it, their, their lives are, were uh, worthy of the t title tax collector. If you have a Bible this morning or you can watch on the screen, we're going to look at a particular passage of Scripture in Luke chapter 5. And I got a new Bible, so I'm going to read it from there. But you can read up there. Okay, it says this. Luke chapter 5, verse 27. Later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting in his tax collecting booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Later... Levi held a banquet at his home with Jesus as a guest of honor. 
Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. But the Pharisees, now the Pharisees, we all know who they are, right? They're kind of the religious mucky mucks, you know, the religious aristocracy of the day. And their teachers of religion, religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? Well, Jesus overheard them and he answered, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not only those who think they are righteous, but those who know that they are sinners and need to repent. Great story. Well, let's take a few minutes and look at it just a little bit closer than what we have seen in those verses. It seems Jesus handpicked Matthew, challenged him to follow him. We don't really know why he chose Matthew, but he did. And uh, we must have we must assume that Matthew had a little bit of an understanding of who Jesus was. And the Holy Spirit obviously had been working in his life because when Jesus said to him, follow me, the scripture says that he didn't say, who are you? Where are we going? For how long? He didn't ask any of those questions. He just simply got up, left his tax collecting business and followed Jesus. In fact, in verse 29 it says he left, or verse 28 I think it's, he left it all. He left it all. Everything. And to a tax collector, that was a lot. A lot of money. A lot of material possessions. Land. Homes. Cars. Planes. Oh, they didn't have back. I don't think they had plenty. But boats, they did have boats. So he left his boats and followed them. Perhaps it cost him more than it did any of the other disciples to follow Jesus. He literally walked away from a fortune. And the scripture says he never turned back. Talk about somebody being upwardly mobile. Matthew fit the description to a T. Let's wait just a minute because after deciding to follow Jesus, Matthew does something really unusual. He decides to throw a party. It's not a farewell party for his tax collecting friends as perhaps would seem at the beginning. It was just a really special party that Matthew had in mind. It was to be an introductory moment for his cronies those fellow tax collectors, to meet Jesus, to rub shoulders with this man that he had decided to follow. I guess in today's vernacular, we'd probably call it an evangelistic cocktail party, don't you think? Anyway, Matthew is hoping that Jesus would have an opportunity and would be a positive influence on his friends in a social setting. Maybe the conversation work its way around to some spiritual things and Jesus would be there to respond. You know, Matthew took a pretty incredible risk when he did that. Two unlikely groups, two groups that you would never think would ever get together, and he prayed that something good would happen out of their meeting. Now, I think the party idea that Matthew had it tells us a little bit about Matthew's heart. Matthew was really tender toward those that were a distance from God. They didn't know much about this Jesus, and 
Maybe he didn't even realize they were headed in kind of a negative direction. Maybe into an eternity without ever knowing who God was. So he left his tax collecting business behind, cleaned up the house, and invited his friends over for a party. Now, it's interesting as we were reading there in that passage that the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, they had a problem with all of this. And their problem was the guest list. They didn't like the fact that Jesus was rubbing shoulders with Matthew's friends. In their mind, these folks didn't deserve any of Jesus' time. Or so it would seem on the surface. And after all, they were, they were crooks. They were profane and they were uh, greedy and they were heathens. No real God-fearing Christ follower would have anything to do with folks like that. So the Pharisees' attitude says a little bit about who they were, don't you think? Bigoted, arrogant, and their hearts, their hearts were stone cold toward those who didn't know what they knew. And they weren't even too excited about talking to them about it. Because they didn't toe the line. They didn't meet the mark. They didn't do what was supposed to be done. Look at this verse. It says, How smart is it for a doctor to surround himself with well people? Well, that's a good question. Pretty much kill his practice, wouldn't it? If everybody that came to see the doctor didn't need to come to see the doctor, what would the doctor do? And so, Jesus said, it's not those folks that I'm here to, to love and to care for and to meet their needs. I'm here to meet those people who are, who are sick. And in verse 32, Jesus makes a profound and a very powerful statement where he says, I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. Now, he isn't suggesting at all that the, um, the Pharisees aren't sinful. No, because it says in Romans chapter 3, there is no one that is righteous. No, not one. And further on down in Romans, it says, for all, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the plan that God has for our lives. None of us have made it perfectly. But what Jesus is saying in that situation is that some people are more aware of their sin than others. And they always make time for those folks, those people who realize their sinfulness and admit that they're sinners. Just like a smart physician, he always gives time to those who are, who are needing to be healed. But those who steadfastly refuse to be perfect and they will not acknowledge their sin well, he says, healthy people, healthy people don't need a doctor, do they? So what's a doctor to do? You know, it was really kind of a disguised shot at the Pharisees, I think, when he said these things. Matthew um, was there, and, uh, and the Pharisees were around him, and so he wanted them to realize that if they thought they had no sin, then they didn't need a Savior. It reminds me of that passage in Luke 15 where Jesus talks about the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. 
It's the message that's central to all of, all of the New Testament. Lost people matter to God. Lost people matter to God. And you know, they need to matter to you and to me. They really do. They matter to him. They need to matter to us. The irony of this passage is, is dripping. Matthew, a sleazy, disgusting, despicable character, character lost without God, becomes a, a Christ follower. In his rookie season, as you might say, he's so concerned about the lostness of his friends that he decides to throw a party to create some contact between those friends and Jesus. He didn't just walk away and say, well, you guys go on your way. I'm going another direction. See you maybe in the future. No, he created an opportunity for them to discover what he had discovered and what had changed his life. So much so that he walked away from everything else to follow Jesus. This is why in Matthew chapter 5, or excuse me, chapter 9, verse 13, it says, Go and teach the message of the scripture. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Those teachers, those religious leaders, needed to go back to school. They needed to go back and discover what it was all about because they had learned all the rules and all the regulations and all the things that were right, all the right things to do and the wrong things not to do. But they had missed the central message of what Jesus was all about. They need to go back to Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, where he says, I want you to be merciful. I don't want you to be, I don't want your sacrifices. I want you to know me. I want you to know God. That's so much more important than burnt offerings. Now, here's the point there is so much more in life for us to do to build the kingdom real Christ followers like you and me must guard our hearts we've got to guard our hearts keep our hearts tender toward folks who haven't made the discovery yet be soft toward them irreligious people who just haven't found out what it's really all about it's so easy for us to fall into that impressionistic trap of as we mature in our faith it's easy to judge our spiritual maturity by what we know or how much we give or how much we serve or how many Bible studies we're in or how often we go to church and how many sermons we listen to all of these things that's how we sometimes we get caught in that trap of judging our spirituality with those things we must not get caught in the doing side and neglect the loving side of our faith especially loving and caring for lost people you know as we mature spiritually in knowledge and our characters develop and our worship experiences and our giving and our serving all become a part of the way we function the way we live our lives it is important that we don't forget that there's some people in our score of influence who have never made that discovery. There's people you know and there's people I know who have never crossed the line. They've never 
Maybe they've never even heard there was a line to cross. They just don't have the answers. And in our world today, it's much more prevalent than it was 20 years ago or 50 years ago. There's a lot of folks who don't have a clue of what this is all about. So let me ask you this morning a few questions. Number one, are you growing spiritually? Do you concern yourself with lost people ever? If they ever sneak into your life? Do you care about friends, maybe your children, maybe your parents who don't seem to very, be very interested in having a relationship with God? Do you ever think about being a, a change agent in those people's lives? Does it matter that there are people in your life who if they were to die today would go to a godless eternity? Does that matter to you? Do you have any friends who don't know God? You ever talk to your, about your faith with them? I know some of you do, and maybe more of you do than I'm aware of. Do your children know that you love God? Do they know that? Do they see your life as a reflection of, of Jesus? Do, they ever, do you ever meet non-believing people? Or most of your friends just like people here at the church, just people you kind of hang out who have same, the same values you have and same lifestyle? Do you ever step out beyond that? When was the last time you ever took somebody who you know does not have a relationship with Jesus to dinner or to lunch? Do you ever ask anybody if they're a Christian? Or you just assume because they go to church somewhere over at Mission or this church or that church that they, they're probably Christians. You know, when I'm rubbing shoulders, arms with people who aren't Christians, my spiritual life just goes up. My excitement, my joy, all that makes me tick just goes up. And when I'm not doing that, it goes down. I'm less and less concerned. I'm not nearly as interested. And I'm not saying that if you're not doing this, that you're not a Christ follower, you're not a Christian. But be careful about calling yourself one because Christ followers, Christ followers are imitators of Christ. We act and think and behave like he did. You say, well, Tim, what can I do? You know, I'm, I'm 65. What can I do now? Or I'm really busy. Or I work two jobs. Or I'm retired. <laughs> That's always a good one, isn't it? It's kind of like we're retired from all of this. Well, here's my answers to your dilemmas, if any of those dilemmas fit you or others. Make a list of the people in your life who you're not convinced they're Christ followers, to non-Christians. Then take that list, if you will, and make it a focus of your prayer. When you pray, pray for the, th the people on that list. Just let them know you're praying for them. And then pray that God will open up an opportunity for you 
to have a conversation with them about your faith. And you know what? If you do that, he'll do his part. He'll come through. He'll open a door, and you'll go, oh, my goodness. And he'll give you the words to say. And he'll help you say it well. I cannot tell you how many times that has been so true for me. You say, Jesus says, believe in me. I'm a doctor in the midst of lost people. Now, we need to keep our lives balanced as Christians. We need to spend time here with our Christian friends because they help us get energized. And, and we need to come to church and we need to be involved in fellowship. We need to be involved in a small group because all of those things help us grow in our own spiritual maturity. But they can't be the end all. That can't be where it stops. Let me share a little story about a friend of mine from a friend of mine. His name is Tony Campolo. Maybe some of you have heard of him. He's a sociology professor at Eastern uh, University in St. David's, Pennsylvania, way back east in a little town. And uh, he's spoken at places I've been several times. And one time he shared this story, and it just kind of put the whole thing in perspective for me. After a cross-country trip to, from Pennsylvania to Honolulu, Tony got there and found himself kind of on the backside of jet lag, if you know what I'm talking about. He was wide awake and wanting some breakfast at about 3 a.m. in the morning. And uh, he didn't know where to go. So he gets up and goes out of his hotel, starts walking down the street in Honolulu, looking for some little breakfast place that might be open at 3. And um, he found one down a side street. And he went in and sat down. And uh, it was one of those, you know, kind of greasy spoon kind of places. And it deserved the name. And um, so as he sat down in Harry's diner, a guy came out from the kitchen area, and across the diner, Tony being the only one in there, said, what do you want? Tony said, well, I think i like a cup of coffee and a, and a donut. So the guy walks over and he pours the cup of coffee out and hands it to him and wipes his hands off on his apron that's already been, had his hands wiped on it about 25 times earlier, and reaches up and gets a donut off the tank. Tony said, it would have been so nice if he had just used tongs. But he just slipped it right in front of him, no wax paper, no plate, just set it in front of him. Well, Tony was sitting there drinking his coffee and eating his donut at 3.30, precisely 3.30 a.m. The doors pop open and in walks eight or nine of the most provocative, boisterous prostitutes you have ever seen. And they come in, and the place is kind of small, so they kind of fill in around Tony sitting there at the counter, and they begin to talk. The talk was kind of loud and crude and kind of, you know, not quite knowing what they were about to say. One of the young ladies sitting next to him said, tomorrow's my birthday. I will be 39. To which her friend said, so what? What do you want me to do, give you a party? Have a birthday cake, sing happy birthday to you. And she said, oh, you don't have to be so mean. I just, I was just telling you that tomorrow's my birthday. I don't want anything from you. I've never, just never had a birthday party before. And well, I just, I was just letting you know. 
Well, in a few minutes, they all left, and Tony said, when they walked out the door, I heard in my ear something that said, you need to do something. So he said, I made a decision right there. And as the owner came out of the kitchen once again, he said, hey, do these girls come in here every night at about 3.30? He said, oh, on the dot. They're here every morning at 3.30. And he said, and the one that was sitting here closest to me, does she come every day? And the guy said, yeah. Why do you want to know? And he said, well, I was heard her talking, and she said that tomorrow is her 39th birthday. And I thought, maybe we, you and me, should throw her a birthday party. Because she said she'd never had a birthday party in her whole 39 years. What do you say we have a birthday party for her, her here tomorrow night? A little smile goes across this Bill boy's face, and he says, that's a great idea. So he calls his wife out of the kitchen, and he says, hey, this guy says that Agnes is going to be here tomorrow night, and it's her birthday, and he wants to give her a party, and he wants us to help him. Oh, she said, oh, that's a great idea. Agnes is so sweet and kind, but people are never sweet and kind back to her. I don't understand. But let's do a party. Tony said, okay, if it's okay to you, I'll come back here tomorrow about 2.30, and we'll decorate this place. I'll get some decorations, and, and, and I'll even get a birthday cake. And I go, oh, no, 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 no. I'll get the birthday cake. And so the next night at 2.30, Tony walks in to the diner once again. It was empty. And he takes the decorations that he had bought at a party store. And he begins to wrap the crepe paper around anything he can find to wrap it around. And he made a sign that says, Happy Birthday, Agnes. And they hung it from the ceiling fan. At about 3.15, the doors pop open and in walks probably every prostitute in that part of Honolulu. There was a crowd. Apparently the owner had gotten the word out that there was going to be a party. And so everybody showed up. And then at 3.30, the door opens, and Agnes walks in. And Tony had everybody kind of planned as to what to do. And so the minute she walks through the door, he screams, and they all scream, Happy Birthday, Agnes! And the poor gal, she stumbles back, and she can hardly hardly stand up and the girl that was with her reached out and grabbed hold of her arm and kind of steadied her and they kind of stood there for a little bit and she didn't know quite what to do and Harry came out about that time from the kitchen with the birthday cake with 39 candles on it and he walks over to Agnes and said Agnes this is your birthday cake there's a candle for every year Blow out the candles, Agnes. Blow out the candles. And so as she was blowing out the candles, he reaches for a knife and he hands her the knife and he says, now cut the cake because we all want some cake. And Agnes stops right there. And she steps back and she looks at that cake. She didn't know what to do. But she says, Harry, can I just hold the cake for a little bit? 
Oh, sure, Agnes, do whatever you want to. We'll wait for some cake. So she took the cake. He said, you can even take it home with you if you want to. She said, can I? She took the cake. She and her friend walked out the door. She was carrying it as if it was the Holy Grail. And she got out the door. And once they were gone, it was like a stunned silence over the whole diner. Tony said, nobody knew what to do. So he said, how about we pray? <laughs> and right there, just past 3.30 in Honolulu, on a side street diner, Tony prayed. He prayed for Agnes. He prayed for her salvation. He prayed that she would be safe. And he thanked God for her. And when he was finished, Harry looks at him and he said, you didn't tell me you were a preacher. <laughs> what church do you belong to? And Tony said it was like a strike of brilliance. It hit his mind. He said, I don't know where this came from, but he said, I turned around and I said to him, I belong to a church. that throws birthday parties for whores at 3.30 in the morning. And Harry says, oh, you do not. If there was a church like that, I'd belong to it. Wouldn't we all? Wouldn't we all? If there was a church like that, I don't know what happened to the church because that's what the church was like. But we've kind of gotten into this precise, pious, proper kind of stuff sometimes. And we miss out on some of the great moments that God wants to bless our lives with and to bless somebody else's life with as well. Well, that's what it's all about. That's the Lord of the party. Jesus is the Lord of the party. And he needs to be in each of our parties. If we'll let him be. He brings more joy, more love, more caring than anything else. And he wants to be a part of our lives in that way. Pray with me, will you? Father, I thank you. I thank you this morning that you are a God who sees us as we are and who loves us regardless of whether or not we return that love but there's going to be moments in each of our lives when you become irresistible it may be that this morning there's somebody here Lord who that moment has come for them right now 
You are the most irresistible thing they've ever heard of. And they're ready to do something about that. And they don't have to do anything real dramatic. Father, I pray that if there's anyone like that this morning who's ready to make that choice, that they'll just simply open up and say, God, I'm a sinner. I'm just like folks who are lost without you. But I want you to be my Savior. I want to invite you into my life. I want you to become the Lord of the parties of my life in every situation. Bless these thoughts. But most of all, Father, I pray that you'll bless this day to each of our lives. Cause us to be ready, if we're believers, to do everything we can to build bridges with those who aren't. And if we're not there yet, Lord, help today to be the day or today to be the beginning of the day when we come to faith. Guide us, I pray, and make this day what you want it to be in Jesus' name. Amen.